0: Welcome to The World Below, The War in the Heavens, a podcast exploring the adventure, the intrigue, and the magic of a land that lies beneath the celestial battle between gods and demons, a clash that has gone on since time immemorial. I'm your guide, your interlocutor, and your host, Michael Pryor. Episode 10, King Sane's Treasure. As well as being the 10th and last episode in this first season of The World Below, The War in the Heavens, this is a very special one, as I have a very special guest. I'll be back before too long with more, and in the meantime, I'll be working on the major epic I'm writing set in this remarkable world. At the moment, it's called The Dead God's Heirs, and it's full of magic, adventure, romance, alliances, betrayals, personal trials, and dynastic challenges. It's so good. Now, before I introduce my guest, let me introduce our subject today, King Sain's treasure. Sain became king of Aniquist on the death of his mother in 212. His father headed a regency council until Sane reached his adulthood in 232. The council was dissolved and Sain became the absolute ruler of Aniquist, which by this time was clearly the preeminent realm throughout the continent of the world below, the war in the heavens. As an only son of a mother who died young, it's quite probable that Zane was indulged, spoiled even, which might explain some of his later behaviour. That's not to say he was a poor king. He consolidated the Anaquistian navy, extended the hypogeum, crushed an invasion by the now long-vanished city-state of Glymon. But at all turns, he managed to treat himself very well. Renowned for his taste for opulent attire, sumptuous personal quarters, the finest of food and the costliest of companions, soon after his assumption to the throne, he gathered a reputation for personal acquisitiveness, hitherto unseen in the monarchs of Aniquist. As he grew older, this acquisitiveness became an obsession. Much as his mother was fixated by magic, he became obsessed by riches. A special vault was built in the palace to hold objects of great worth and an even more secure chamber inside the vault was kept for his personal collection of scales, some of the most remarkable ever taken from the body of the dead god. However, upon Saint's death in 253, the vault and the inner chamber were open and found to be utterly empty. And here the legend of King Saint's treasure begins. And I welcome my special guest, Dr. David Threshton, the head of the Department of Aniquist Studies at Hallmark University. Welcome, David.
1: Thanks. It's good to be here. And that was a really commendable summary, Michael, with all due respect for a non-expert.
0: Yeah, I, I put my hand up there. I'm an enthusiastic amateur, willing to learn and more than happy to have a real expert on board today. So, for a start, could you describe King Sain's treasure trove for us?
1: Mm, indeed, it was a, a classic hoarder's treasure trove. But a hoarder with taste and all the powers of a crown, jewellery, works of art, furniture embedded with gems musical instruments, as well as the most outstanding assembly of scales perhaps ever seen in the world below The War in the Heavens. Let me describe a few specific items just to give you some of the idea of the marvels said to be in the vault of King Sane, all of which are lost. Eucanthus chalice, this legendary drinking cup which reputed to be the personal favourite of Queen the I, the founder of Aniquist. But its description does run counter to what's known of Queen Eucanthus' taste, whose note with her simple and even what we'd call streamlined elegance. Not the gaudiness of this object. The chalice itself has long disappeared, but drawings exist, showing it to be a rather chunky vessel with a short squat. Them, <sighs> drinking from it, was said to be like drinking from Heaven itself. Then on to the celestial service. This was an exceedingly opulent dinner service made of gold, with settings for 250 people. Plates were engraved with suns, moons, or stars, and a subtle indication of precedence was involved who got what. The horses of heaven were seven bronze horses, twice life size and each were covered with scales of a single, single colour. Arnelian, Celadon, Jet, Ultramarine, Argent, Alabaster, and purple. They were commissioned by King Sain himself for a watchtower. He aimed to build inside the stronghold with the aim of keeping his sons busy. He built with extensive walkways. So, all along the watchtower, the princes would keep their view. But he lost interest in the clock once he saw the brilliance of the horses in all their attitudes of rearing, galloping and at rest. And they went straight to the treasure vault. Now this list comes from the entry in the Antiquist Annals. The official account of each ruler's reign. So we can give it some way. Or himself may have had some part in authorising the entry. So make of it what you will.
0: So... With all of this magnificence, what actually happened to it? What happened to King Sane's treasure?
1: And here's where we step out of the realms, realms of the generally accepted the morass of rumour, supposition, half truths, and outright lies.
0: So we're talking juicy stuff, in other words. What? Look, it's just a thought, Dr. Threshton, but hasn't anyone accessed the soul cylinder belonging to King Sain? Surely that would be the best way to find out what Sane had been thinking about the treasure.
1: Ah, two points about that. Firstly, that assumes that King Sain was responsible for the disappearance of the treasure or non-appearance of that school of thought. Secondly, you have to understand that this was in the relatively early days of the Soul Cylinders. The ritual and the importance of them wasn't as obvious as it is in the present day. And simply put, no one thought to access Sane's Soul Cylinder until several generations had passed when it was found to be corrupt. Corrupted? That's right. I know it's beyond the scope of this session. And it's something not often discussed, but the supposedly... Incorruptible objects that are the royal cylinders holding the memories and essence of all the rulers of Anquist aren't as enduring or as perfect as legend has it and the unbroken collection. Hardly.
0: <laughs> oh, wow, that sounds like a topic for another podcast. I'll have to get you back.
1: More than happy to do that, Michael. <sighs>
0: Wonderful. Making notes here, you understand. Look, just to put this to bed before we get back to the treasure, you're saying that no one could learn what happened to King Sane's treasure by using his soul cylinder to access his memories because something went wrong with the
1: magic. Precisely. In the 320s, in the reign of Queen Sendia II, one of her offspring, Blemond, who died in a snake wrestling accident when he was only 19, Accessing Sane soul cylinder only to find that it was empty. Examination by some adepts from the hypogeum determined that was cracked, probably dropped at some stage, and its integrity was compromised. Memories of King Sane were gone like mist into a fog.
0: I'm making so many notes here, and I definitely will have to get you back now. Again, to the fate of the treasure, Sane dies and presumably his son and heir, Prescon, opens the vault and finds empty.
1: Correct. Even before the actual coronation, Prescon summoned a group of nobles from the various advisory councils of his father and proceeded to the vault. It's supposed he wanted witnesses to what he assumed was his legacy. But when the doors were opened, the place was entirely empty. Both chambers, not a skerrick of a scale, not a glint of a gold coin, not a wisp of spider silk.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, well, that would have been a letdown.
1: Mm. Prescott was of a philosophical bent, but apparently this tested his demeanour and he was heard to whisper a heartfelt profanity under his breath.
0: Well, I think I would have done more than that.
1: As would most people, Michael. Regardless, he ordered the palace guard to find out what had happened. The poor booby who was handed this thankless job was Amina Aschides, a descendant of the Aschides, who was a member of Ucantet and quist Band and who is the best first-hand account of what we have of the early days of the city-state. Not the writer that her ancestor was. She did keep a bare-bones record of her um, inquiry. Perhaps to make sure she was doing her job properly.
0: Yeah, well, sounds like she wanted to cover her own ass.
1: <laughs> That's a rather pithy way of putting it, and spot on. Her people looked for a sign of forced entry or other methods of burglary and found none. They grilled all of Sayer's household, or Sayer's household, the Royal servants, his personal assistants, the people who attended the grounds and such like, but came up with nothing. Despite their somewhat vigorous methods of questioning, they interrogated Saiyan's closest friends, the nobles he spent most time with, his mistresses. The adepts in the Hypogeum he consulted over scales, but none of them had an inkling that the treasure was gone. Amina Ascetes tried using magical means to find out what had happened to the treasure, allowing selected adepts to try various arcane and opaque magical approaches, even within the walls of the vault. Itself had had no success. The only oddity they found was a few words scratched into the wall of the inner vault, the one that held the most precious scales. The depths, the depths, the depths.
0: Well, cryptic that.
1: Mm, Indeed. Did it allude to the underground or an overwhelming feeling or something else entirely? It's been a puzzle for the ages and Damina Esquides documented it without offering an explanation. Ultimately, after a year and a half, he declared that the fate of the treasure was unknown. As a tribute to her upright manner and perhaps her family connections. But Prescon accepted her findings without retribution, and she remained in command of the palace guard until her retirement in the reign of Prescon's daughter, Queen Varfina in 266.
0: Okay. So that's the official view. What about the unofficial view? Surely rumours sprang up.
1: Of course, of course. I should say so. Within weeks of Sane's death, all anarchists were swapping rumours about the treasure. For too long, it was a topic of choice in most homes, taverns and workshops, and on most street corners, work sites and ocean trading vessels across the continent. Many of these persisted at the current day in the world. Below the war in the heavens. So let me lay out the most well known of the rumors. Number one, one of Sane's five country villas had an underground vault built. All of these villas have been investigated thoroughly and ransacked in later years, but no treasure has been found. Rumor two, it was stolen, and when Sane discovered the theft, he just had a heart attack and died. Three, Sane frittered it away and was too ashamed to let anyone know. It's a pretty boring rumour, but not beyond the realms of possibility. Number four, he secreted it somewhere in the palace, despite later anarchists and servants and general busy- busybodies searching for it. No trace has ever been found. And lastly, it never existed in the first place. This is saying the Joker theory. And from what we know of his generally dour demeanour, it's low on the list of livelihoods. And that's it? No, hardly. they simply the most common rumours or theories about King Sane's treasure. Would you like me to go into each of them, Michael?
0: Oh, who could resist? Yeah, Yes, please.
1: The country villa theory. Mm, this one has some weight, I suppose, as King Sane was well known for his liking of the countryside and for having rather extravagant country mansions built so he could enjoy it. In his lifetime, he had five estates he frequented, each with its own large building, essentially a country palace of sorts, complete with outbuildings, farms and hunting parks, Three still exist, or their ruins do. And they're still visited by treasure hunters. Most of them have been sold maps in various markets, no doubt craftily aged by soaking in cold tea, having the edges burnt. The time Sane spent in these pleasant seats led to the not unsupportable notion that he had underground vaults and transported his treasure, little by little, to these strong wounds, neglecting to tell anyone. So that when he died, the location of the treasure died with him. This theory has a spin-off, a descendant of its own, if you like, in the manner that rumors tend to. This one suggests that King Sane had more than five country estates. That the records are wrong or have been deliberately altered. One, possibly more other country palaces existed.
0: So you think they're waiting to be discovered?
1: I hope you can see how an industry has grown up around King Sane's treasure, outfitting those foolish enough to go looking for it. They, of course, have a vested interest in promulgating these rumours and probably. Inventing a few new ones. And interest seems to be waning.
0: Now, that sounds like the equivalent of um, metal detectorists in this world.
1: Quite. As for the second theory, that somehow the treasure was stolen and when Sane discovered it missing, he had a heart attack and died on the spot. I actually take that more than a grain of salt. Did you notice my use of the word somehow?
0: Oh, yeah, I didn't miss that.
1: It's a word that covers a multitude of sins and is used when someone has no idea how something could have been done. But it's prepared to skip over that and declare it. it's the case nonetheless. I'd have more interest in this theory if uh, I had some details. The treasure was vast, the vault extraordinarily secure, and saying, like to visit it every single day someone managed to sneak it out without his noticing, so that when he opened the doors one day, he was so completely shocked, oh, that his heart gave out and he died. Uh,
0: Yeah, well, uh, I've done my reading and this theory has its champions. Uh, uh, Professor Monica Urquhart, for instance, from the Marigold Institute.
1: I hesitate to call a fellow academic a Salat and a fraud, a tiner and a fudger of facts, but I don't hesitate for long.
0: Yeah, okay, so you don't put much stock in her words.
1: I have no truck with her at all. She's a poor researcher, dilettante at best. And I'm not just saying this because she attempted to stab me with a broken bottle at a conference in Rio de Janeiro.
0: Oh it sounds like you two are professional rivals.
1: But but What do you think about her work? I don't. I don't think about her work at all. Let's move on to the third theory.
0: Yeah, please.
1: The notion that Sane fritted away the treasure has some merit, especially since we do know that Sane had a number of weaknesses on top of his obsession with things that glitter and glow. He was an avid gambler, for instance, and lavished much lavished much money on wagering and supporting various sports he liked to attend. He was fond of horse racing, but his special fanaticism was reserved for boat races, where he lost what a commoner would call a number of foot. He he
0: was a fanatic for boat races. I've never heard of them. Mm,
1: Boat races on the fo River were very popular in the first few centuries of Anacostia, mostly around the river port of Beacon. The races ranged from uh, single road dinghies to some of the smaller burems through to sailing vessels of all kinds and even barges and flatboats. Holidays were even proclaimed for special events with crowds thr- thronging both banks, and once a year a carnival was held in Lowtown, the winning skippers and the master rowers from the previous year's races fated and often became very rich. A parade was held through the streets with each winning vessel mounted on wagons and trundled through the cheering crowds, through the gates of the stronghold, right up to the royal palace where the monarch would greet and entertain the champion. Gambling was a huge part of the boat races. It's well known that a number of notorious incidents occurred where underhanded tactics were used before and during the races.
0: Now, that sounds like you're talking about criminal involvement.
1: Mm, indeed I am. Well, the aristocrats love to patronise the boat races so much that they became essential social occasions. Criminals see throughout the racing team.
0: So, the, the criminals were Embedded in the racing teams and the bookmakers. Look, listeners, if you hear the sound of my pen scratching away, it's because I'm making more and more notes for future episodes.
1: If you like, Michael, I can put you in touch with some colleagues who are rather more expert than I am in the area of anarchist boat races and the early criminal underworld involvement.
0: Yeah, I'll hold you to that. So let's talk off air. Back to the fourth theory about uh, the fate of Sane's treasure, that he hid it somewhere in the palace.
1: Ah, another unlikely conjecture given how assiduously a number of his descendants have searched for it, especially the ones whose reign had financial trouble. I'm thinking of Iona I in the 330s, during which a terrible drought gripped the land, then there was Dime on the Third in the 440s. Where a dreadful crash in the price of scales was brought about by a few unscrupulous merchants trying to create an artificial shortage. It all went terribly wrong, and King Diamond desperately organised a systematic search of the palace and all the buildings inside the walls. It was a thorough search and futile.
0: Okay, look, I'll scratch that possibility. How about theory five, that the treasure never existed and Sane was just pulling everyone's leg?
1: Well, I have to admit this one has some appeal. I love a good charade, but as I mentioned before, Sane was never renowned for his sense of humour. In any case, when the punchline came, the doors were opened and the vault was empty. He, He wasn't around to enjoy it, so it would have been a rather empty in the end. No, i put this one near the bottom of this possibility.
0: So you've investigated these rumours, their sources and their adherence. Which one do you think is the most likely, or, or do you barrack for another?
1: Thank you for the opening here to discuss the thrust of my new book.
0: All right, not a problem. Uh, title and publisher first.
1: King Sain's Treasure. Walmart University Press, available online or at bookshops. The tale of vast riches and gold-duggery. The blurb says, which I hasten to add, I did not write.
0: And in this book, you explore all the theories we've mentioned here, but, but in more depth, before discussing an alternative that you actually favour.
1: Exactly. After decades of study in this area, I believe I'm in the position to advance a hitherto unadvanced theory that brings together King Sane's treasure, the time he spent in boat racing circles and an obsession he developed. This obsession has been ignored or glossed over by almost all scholars and Monica Urquhart as well. But I maintain that it's the answer to the puzzle that has eluded generations. I'm drawing on the fragmentary commonplace book of King Sane's Major Domo, essentially the general manager of the royal household. In the year 252, second last year of the king's life, Valerio Kiffin became increasingly concerned about his master. He evinced irrational behaviors, cringing at unheard noises, muttering under his breath, ordering extra guards to accompany him everywhere. Excluding nearly everyone from attending him, apart from Kiffin. Eventually, he confided in Kiffin that he was concerned about the gods that they were out to get.
0: Ah, yeah. Now this this starts to make sense. So he was concerned about the gods, and that basically points to the war in the heavens.
1: And that's what Kiffin thought. But King saying feverishly him of this. He was convinced that the world was about to end because of the gods beneath.
0: Hold on a second. The gods beneath? Uh, that rings
1: a bell. A belief in the gods beneath runs through the history of the world blow the war in the heavens. It's not exactly a heresy, as it's never had enough currency or enough believers to make it a threat to the temple. But it bobs up here and there, often resulting in acts of astonishing cruelty. So,
0: what you're saying is that Sane thought these cruel and nasty gods from underground were about to erupt and cause havoc?
1: No, 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 no. Not exactly. And he was afraid of the gods that live in the deepest parts of the ocean. The number of gods beneath somewhere between 14 and 302, depending on his state of mind, were on the verge of leaving their briny depths and rampaging across the world looking for him. I guess that uh, these days we call that a persecution complex. It's a bit arrogant or something though, thinking that he was so important that a horde of underwater gods were about to pull themselves out of the water and stomp around looking for him.
0: Right. I guess a crown on your head gets you thinking that you're pretty important all in all.
1: Yeah. It goes with the job I'd say. But obsessions of king-sangs kind don't. He's resulted in a bizarre plan, a ah, pieced together from Kiffin's notes and the boat race records.
0: Oh, hold on, the the notes from the head of the household, what have they got to do with the boat race records? I, I, look, I'm sorry.
1: Bear with me, Michael. I'm suggesting that Spain's fear actually became an absolute terror. And this is alluded to very discreetly in Chiffin's book. Kiffin, with some distress, notes that his master spends time talking to himself about the, the concept of appeasement, eventually graduating to the notion of sacrifice.
0: Ooh, I, I'm not sure if I like where this is going.
1: Again, just bear with me. The other piece of the puzzle seems so unconnected, which is why no one has connected it before I have. It's the records of the winners of the boat race on the Geffo River, a remarkably well-preserved series of documents that list all of the winners of the various categories of races right up until the year 1655, which was the last year of the regular races, thanks to them. A mighty destructive love. I poured over these lists for my master's thesis. I looked at family names, drew some conclusions, and then I forgot about the lists. And why not? Name after name of vessels and masters, individuals and crews. Ugh, they hardly make for lively reading. Still, so that work lingered and something must have rung about because I recently investigated the lists again, concentrating on the period around Sane's death. Well, 20 years before the, the death of King Sane, the same names regularly cropped up as winners in the boat races. Desmond, Forgranda, Ingleby, Revik, across various classes of vessel and stretching over years. Some were related, others, the same individual with a long, successful career. Strange thing was, though, that a dozen or so names that had been prominent in the year before King Sane's death never appeared again.
0: What, what, wait a second. We're talking about a dramatic drop-off in form or
1: something? Hardly. Among multiple families at the same time, I think not. Let me sketch a, a scenario for you. Imagine a deluded and Terrified, insane, convinced that monsters from the deep are coming for him. He hits on the idea of easing them. He decides that taking his treasures out to the sea and giving the treasure to the depths is the only way to save himself, and he concocts a plan that will achieve this without panicking the realm by hauling wagons of precious objects through the streets onto barges and out into the waves. <laughs>
0: Well, I guess that if you go to dump your treasure in the ocean, you really don't want people wondering what's going on. They might start to think you're not up to being king or something.
1: Mm, King Sane's thoughts must have been disordered at this time. But but, but, perhaps even, perhaps you're right. In any case, the boat race parade was held a month before Sane died. Each of the winning vessels was at the stronghold for some time before turning to Beacon and... Refloated. What if Same took this opportunity to move his treasure to the boats to take them to the river port? There they can be transferred to barges, sail down the river and out to sea before offering his riches to the watery gods. And that's for those who piloted the vessels and their disappearance from the boat race this. They were either paid handsomely enough to retire, or they all suffer the sort of accident that happens when powerful people want to leave no witnesses.
0: Look, I'm being careful here, but that sounds like a lot of supposition. Is there any actual evidence
1: for this? Oh, come on. If you're looking for a statue of King saying, pouring gold coins over the side of a boat with the inscription, I threw it all away. I'm afraid that you will be disappointed more of a jigsaw puzzle with some pieces missing but enough for us to see the overall. Number one, the notes of Valerio Kiffin among his records of the palace housekeeping, he grows increasingly concerned about the king's behaviour. Number two, the boat rates this and the ominous disappearance of names. Number three, the mysterious inscription. The depths, the depths, the depths. It makes perfect sense when considered consider it in the light of any or my suggestion as another sign of King Sane's obsession. Apart from that, we have only small pieces of the overall puzzle. I'm hoping that more will come to light, but for now, we have a number of reports of gold coins uncovered along the beach near Miro, where the Ketho River meets the sea. Not... Exactly a hoard, but a coin here and there over many, many centuries. And in the year fourteen fifty five, the anchor, the training catch from the naval academy in Mira, snagged on something, and eventually pulled to the surface, proved to be the hind quarters of a jeweled horse.
0: Look, even I've got that. You're talking about one of King Sain's jeweled horses.
1: Quite possibly put it all together and it's not conclusive, but it's highly tantalising. Don't you agree?
0: Yeah, look, I'm putting my hand up here. I'm on board, mostly because it's a cracker of a story. Boats full of treasure hauled through city streets, ancient submarine gods, a madman king, sensational. Now, I understand that the rights for your book have been bought by a production company. Congratulations.
1: Mm, Well, conditional congratulations, I'd say, because... The production company that bought the rights, they want to turn it into a musical. Oh, a musical? Indeed. I'm assuming that they're working under a misapprehension, but who knows?
0: That was Dr David Threshton, the head of the Department of Aniquist Studies at Hallmark University. His new book, King Sane's Treasure, from Hallmark University Press is available online. This is the last episode in this first series of the World Below the War in the Heavens podcast. I'll be back with more before too long, and in the meantime, I'll be writing furiously, engaging with this fascinating world and drawing out its stories. So, tell all your friends about the World Below the War in the Heavens podcast, and don't forget to subscribe and like wherever you get them. Until next time, I've been Michael Pryor. And I hope for some time after that I'll continue to be Michael Pryor. Farewell. This has been The World Below, The War in the Heavens, a podcast exploring the history, culture and esoterica of The World Below, a continent of magic and mystery with inhabitants who keep one eye on the sky at all times. I've been your host, Michael Pryor. If you'd like to find out more about me and my books, pop over to
1: www.michaelprior.com.au. Farewell.